Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Amalgamated and Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic. He covers the Buffalo Bills and uh, it was a little strange. I was in the mood to watch some football on Sunday and uh, didn't have the opportunity. My first... uh, I guess all of our first week without uh, a game to cover or to be glued to for professional reasons and absorbing. And uh, I was looking for some passive football observation just to sit back and let football happen to me. Well, good news for you, Tim. The Buffalo Sabres played at 1 p.m. on Sunday and you could uh, watch that game instead. <laughs> Hockey doesn't, uh, you know, I had this feeling it was Saturday night. And before I went to bed, I thought, you know, I'm in the mood just to sit around tomorrow and watch football. And uh, I might have even settled for a Pro Bowl, but we didn't even have that option. It's been disorienting, like, to pick your head up after a season like that and be like, all right, t- it's time to hunker down and get into the offseason. Then all of a sudden, I'm like, it's February. Like, you know, it's uh, – it was senior bowl last week, which was like, they're doing a senior bowl. Like what, what the hell are they, what are they doing? And many years we were getting ready for the draft in December. Yeah. Sometimes earlier. Yeah. Because they're out of it. And that's the next, uh, the next interesting thing to look forward to or free agency whose contracts are up. Uh, We didn't really have to worry about that until a few weeks ago. Um, And you get so many, of those weeks, like you talk about, where you can wake up and be like, I just want to watch football today. And it's like the really good football, divisional round, conference championships. Yeah, that's like, the thing. You were in the middle of that. To, as, as people who, who cover sports in Western New York, and the Bills in particular, is that there were no primetime games other than the Thursday night game. And then they'd occasionally get the Monday night road game. But we were covering games at Sunday one o'clock you'd finish and we'd watch the Sunday night game at the bar, probably have a few beers and get something to eat. And then Monday night, we had that option of getting together and watching. And it was usually good football. It was when you'd say, Oh, so this is what, this is what the NFL looks like. Cause it's Especially not in the playoffs. It's not what I cover. And then the playoffs, then you'd set a wild card playoffs. weekend, divisional round conference this year, championship, three best weekends of the year. But when you're covering 8.30, 8.15 kickoff, your Sunday is kind of like just pulling yourself together from, from doing that. And it's like, well, if these games aren't close. I'm not going to be glued to it. Or you just don't have the energy for it. And, uh, and I'm not complaining. Yeah. I'm not saying no. I'm yeah, it's... covering meaningful football. But the, the, what we're used to is this routine of just, all right, work. Covering the Bills was work. I mean, well, look, all right, I'm not going to be so, <laughs> you know, we're watching sports for a living. I get it. But covering the bills this year, it is work. It pays at any time you have a boss and a deadline it's a job. Um, It does pay our bills, but watching the bills this year, there were you, I'd still feel some energy. You know, it's a Monday night game. You know, the world is watching. Uh, You know, that the, everybody, um, the games are more meaningful, but same similar Similar feel I get when I was covering playoff hockey. You know, everybody's hanging on everything you're going to be writing or saying. Um, whereas those one o'clock Sunday kickoffs, who knows who was who cared what you were going to be writing. Yeah, it was different when because of the season that they had, you don't feel as immersed in it when you're covering a lot of it from where we're sitting right now. Um, but those last few games when fans started to get into the building again and, and, you know, it's the playoffs, like you said, it's the weekend I'm usually used to sitting on my couch and watching these games. It's like, Oh, now everybody's sitting on their couch watching this game that I'm at. Um, So that part was, there was a a second wind to the season because it was a long year of wondering whether they would play wondering how long it would go, postponements, different things like that. And then to get to a point where it's like, all right, they, these games gave you a little bit of extra energy. But it was, uh, it's been funny to look up at the calendar and realize it's February and there's only one football game left. And, you know, that 
there's only one football game after the last one the Bills played. Uh, that's rare in these parts. The shift, and I know Jonah can speak to this too, um, but you know your love for basketball, maybe it's not as, as pronounced as, as it is for me. Um, but this is the time when, you know, within the last couple of weeks, historically, I start shifting to, oh, all right, let's watch some basketball. Duke played Miami last night. Duke, which is about 500 against Miami, which is a little under 500. And there are no fans. And I tried to watch this game and it's like, there's no energy in these games. So there's the shift off of the NFL for me to sport, to finding a sport that I'm can, it just isn't happening. Hockey's not doing it for me. Everything is the sterile environment, although the Sabres are playing. Okay. I don't know. What's, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the, the brand of basketball that we're seeing, Jonah? Well, I do want to make one comment that just normally the week before the Super Bowl is the NHL All-Star game, and that fills a little bit of the void, at least for Buffalonians and people in NHL markets. And it was just kind of interesting. Everybody seemed to be missing football this past week, but I didn't hear too many people lamenting that there was no NHL skills challenge on Saturday. It but, is a terrible, terrible event. But there is NHL hockey. I've covered some of the games. It's an interesting experience, being, as you guys would know from the football games, being at these games with no fans, but still the same music and crowd noise and experience in some ways. Basketball-wise, we talked about this with Gerald a couple weeks ago. I like watching the games, but I can watch a lot of basketball games and be entertained by them without the same context that other people require to get into the games. But it is different. It's a weirder experience. I think the NBA is better now than it was during the bubble, at least from a television standpoint. I'm, I don't really notice that the crowd's not there, or in some places the crowd has returned. And a lot of it has to do with those video boards with the fans there. It's, it's a little jarring at first. It takes some getting used to how it looks. But that does sim stimulate a crowd. And I think a lot of the television sports that have incorporated that type of uh, virtual crowd once you get used to it, I like that better than the totally empty arenas. How like about um, courtside Karen last night speaking oh, to fans at uh, stadiums? What? Uh, I missed that. What are you talking about? Oh, dear. Is I this thought the girl you'd be was yelling that. at LeBron, LeBron. Yeah, and he called. Oh, I saw a reference to it, but I didn't know those. So. Yeah, he tweeted about courtside Karen after the game. So that's now what she's called. And she then posted something on social media in which he, she was saying, oh, you think you're a big man getting into an argument with a 25-year-old woman. And the, initial, the reaction was, you're not 25. Um, she, she's digging herself a hole. Why so are there fans are looking at her and, you know. Was this a virtual fan or why are there fans close enough? To well, the, that was my reaction. Is she that was a legit fan. She was courtside. Her mask down, like courts, like standing up and courtside. like, yeah. That's what is weird about this year. And it, it was kind of this way in football, but it's also now in the other sports where you get so locked into what's happening in Buffalo and what's happening with the Bills or the Sabres or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, something like this happens and you're like, wait a second, people are courtside in other places or like, you know, there were things that would happen where you're like, wait, there's 20,000 fans in that. You know, I was watching a college football game this fall and Georgia had like, a third capacity or something. And you're like, wait, you know, what the hell? Like there's that many people, the court side fan. Well, it was same state, Georgia. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know what, why they're, they've already transitioned into. So this was a Hawks fans. fan. Cause Hawks don't usually get fans even when they're allowed to have fans. It was a Hawks fan. Yes. In theory. No, well, yes. It was, it was a, a patron of a basketball game in Atlanta. Um, and she was mad at LeBron. So who clearly went there with some sort of um, ready to start a fight. I thought you were going to say clearly went there with some sort of blood alcohol content. Well, which probably that, also was true. Maybe if she didn't go there probably. with that, if she didn't go there with that, you would assume she left left with it. <laughs> she got tossed. LeBron said she shouldn't have been ejected. I think she should have been ejected because she had her mask pulled down and she was like, getting, I, I wouldn't want the, if I were in the NBA, I wouldn't want my fans pulling down their masks and jawing with my players from 10 feet away, screaming at them. Hey, before we get any further, 
You mentioned uh, Gerald Dixon. Gerald Dixon hasn't been on the show for a couple of weeks, and we've talked about it, but I feel like I need to reinforce it because people ask me. We're trying to get Gerald on the show, but he's got a new job, and he has some protocols that he must go through. He's the recruiting director at Vanderbilt. Pretty impressive job. He got an SEC gig. He's uh, moved to Nashville. On, his, on the uh, Vanderbilt website, though, he's Smoke Dixon. He's not Gerald Smoke mm. Dixon or Gerald Dixon, a.k.a. Smoke. He is now Smoke Dixon. Is that a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Maybe he's trying to make it so when people find him on there and they Google him, they don't find this podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> now he's smoke. Yeah, that's I, true. Yeah. <laughs> they don't they don't want to see this. Yeah. I, I like the nickname Smoke. You know, that's uh Joe Walcott was old. The smoke. first time I heard it, and now there's about five players on every team or at least one player on every team that's nicknamed smoke yeah who I, let me make sure i have that right my but not right. enough smokies smoky robinson smoky the bandit and i don't know if we've had another good smoky in decades john morrissey old smoke he was a bare knuckle boxer in the 1860s always thought that was a cool nickname you have to be fast to be nicknamed Smoke, which I guess makes sense. But you, you could create smoke in, in real life without speed. Only, it only takes fire. There's Derek Smoke Gainer, who was uh, Roy Jones Jr.'s stable mate, was constantly getting smoked in the ring. I wanted to say, ah, uh, well. Um, he's just out there reinventing himself. Not really. I mean, he's been smoke for a while, but uh. He's been smoked like since what? What do you say? He picked that up in high school or middle school or something like that? Yeah, I think high school. Um, I don't know. Good for uh, – it's a good gig. I think it's a good fit too. Um, good job and, for the former Gerald Dixon. Yeah, exactly. The F formerly known as Gerald. <laughs> I retweeted. I was going to call him a great F, but it was the Vanderbilt uh, head coach had tweeted out the announcement. I didn't want to confuse anybody, <laughs> especially, you know, with Vanderbilt's uh, upper crust taste. That's I would not. Eyebrow. Yeah, it is. Vanderbilt, what do they call it? The Harvard of the South. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Sorry, I cut, uh, I cut somebody off there. Had to give my read. Had to give my props and my uh, pay my allegiance to CTBK. It's tax season. That's right. They're busy over there. I thought of one more thing I wanted to respond to you with, Tim. I went to the UB basketball game that they lost at the buzzer on Friday. And some of the basketball games I've been to, I do appreciate one aspect of having no crowds and a quieter atmosphere. You can hear the coaches yelling at the refs, and you can hear the energy from the bench, and you can hear the players MF each other on the court. And that's a lot of fun. I don't know if it's <laughs> translating on television. I haven't noticed that on the TV games I watch, but when you're there, you catch a bit of that. I wonder, I mean, I don't, I haven't watched enough games to know, but are technicals up because referees feel like if they know the game is being broadcast and it's like, I can't let that guy get away with having said that to me and the whole world knows it versus, well, maybe nobody heard him say that. I haven't noticed them being up and they might even be down. Cause I think the, the crowd, the players and the coaches feed off the energy in the crowd sometimes when they're trying to get technicals that, that happens often too. But I have noticed this weird dance that coaches play where they have the mask on and the ref does something that they don't like either makes a call or doesn't make a call and they yell and the ref ignores them. 
and then they take down the masks and it's like, you sure you heard me complaining about that call? I just want to make sure. <laughs> and sometimes they just take down the mask so you can see them make their shocked face. Cause like, you know, you can't roll your eyes at the ref that effectively with a mask on. It's just an interesting thing. I've noticed coaches doing some coaches, not all Jim White. I should say, I've never seen him pull his mask down uh, among the other coaches that I have seen that from. There does seem to be a little entitlement with some coaches, you know, who, who barely wear it. Mike Shashevsky didn't have his mask on too much last night. It makes no sense when he's they kind of I'm, like, is he wearing it like a beard? Yeah. I'm going to wear it for show when I'm not talking, but when I need to open my mouth and expel my respiratory droplets, I'm going to take this mask off just in case you can't hear me or read my lips or something when I have the mask on, um, you know, they should, the mask, they should be wearing the mask the whole time. I cover a Sabres game or a UB game. I don't take my mask off at any point in time, unless sometimes to sneak a sip of water if you have to. But other than that, you don't need to take the mask off to talk or yell or roll your eyes at the referee. Yeah, the mask doesn't cover your eyes. Right. Yeah, or, yeah, so nonverbal cues should be at a premium now. So refs that are known for stomping, histrionics. I wonder how Bob Knight would be handling, you know, who, who, is there a contemporary Bob Knight or is that style of coaching so out of style? Um, well, Mike Krzyzewski there... is a Bob Knight disciple. He has a different personality, but. Right. But in terms of the really riding the ref, screaming at his guys, stop. Bobby, Hurley, Bobby Hurley's chairs. nuts. Yeah. I don't know if I've caught them this year. Fran McCaffrey at Iowa. I mean, I think the coaches are doing a lot of stuff, but maybe without the crowds, they don't get as amped up. And some of that's a performance sometimes. So I, I haven't seen it as much. One thing I noticed that coaches stand, the assistant coaches stand a lot more because that whole bench area is wide open. And it's a different kind of thing with the coaches standing and watching and, and getting a little bit more engaged in the action. The players more are like, staying. You, can, you have room to kind of pace around a little bit. Right. It looks like how you'd see – teams interact in a practice or a scrimmage setting a little bit more they're not all sitting on the bench and kind of glued to the chairs as much as they they used to be check back uh, with tim graham and friends brought to you by ctbk later in the week uh, we're going to have harrison phillips from the buffalo bills on to talk about uh, two nominations very prestigious nominations he's a finalist for the oh no wait i've kind of botched this little teaser haven't i this is happening in this show let me start over on that uh be sure to check back later in the week we're gonna have joel staniszewski he's going to talk about super bowl bets joel by the way let me find my record book here joel staniszewski on the year Prior to his props. Huh? How much does he owe you? I, I should owe him. People, people who listen to this show should be sending him a percentage of their winnings if they were placing their bets uh, pro appropriately. 30, 20, and 5 for the season. Joel, that's against the number. That is uh, against the spread, the total, uh, whatever. Um, those were pregame bets that he suggested right here on these – Airwaves? What are we? Streamway? What? They're not waves at all, I guess, on this digital conduit. So anyway, Joel Staniszewski is going to go over some of the prop bets, which are always fun on Super Bowl week. Uh, and I guess I'll let him decide whether or not he wants the props to play in his, uh, his season total. Because the prop bets so many times just come down to they're, they're calculated coin flips. They're just trying to get you to you know, how, uh, who's going to score more points, um, Tyreek Hill or Antonio Brown, LeBron J. I'm thinking of how they do across sports. Oh, true. You know, um, oh, that's a bad one, you know, because basketball, but they, Jordan was always a tie in when I lived in Vegas. It was who's going to score more points on on Sunday, uh, the Cowboys as a team or or Jordan versus the Bucks or whatever. Um, later on in this show, Buffalo Bills defensive tackle Harrison Phillips 
is going to talk to us about his nominations for community service awards. Uh, he is a finalist for the NFL Players Association's Allen Page Community Award, um, which is going to be announced on Thursday. And he's the Bills nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year, uh, which is going to be announced uh, Super Bowl weekend. I think it gets announced Super Bowl Sunday or the NFL Honors. I'm sorry, the NFL Honors, which is the night before. We'll, we'll check with Harrison Phillips on that. Uh, he's going to be know. coming up in a couple of minutes. He'll, yeah, he'll know. Um, any, any closing thoughts here before we get to Harrison Phillips? What else you know is what, on the what's what's on know the what plate? This is, Tim? I thought you were flipping me off. Is that am, your middle finger? You could call. You know what else you could call this? A digital conduit. <laughs> You're right. That is. Well, let's hear. Let's hear from Harrison Phillips, and he can tell us about all the charity work he's been doing around Western New York. Uh, hey, uh, and thanks as always to everyone for listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. Harrison Phillips, defensive tackle of the Buffalo Bills, and uh, interesting week for him. I'm sure he would like to have been really jam-packed uh, with a lot of preparations this week, but uh, Harrison Phillips uh, is up for two major awards. He's the Buffalo Bills nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, and he's also the NFLPA's uh, finalist for their Allen Page Community Award. And um, we wanted to have Harrison on to talk about his uh, community service. And uh, you don't get uh, nominated for those awards, though, if you're not on the field and doing well, because that is a component uh, of winning, uh, especially the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award and being nominated. Well, Harrison, congratulations on all your success this year, uh, personally and otherwise. And uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, glad to, to, to be able to be on here. What does it mean to be nominated for these awards? Um, I mean, it, it truly is, you know, it goes down as, you know, my, my greatest accomplishment really to this time, this day. And it doesn't really matter uh, if I win these awards, uh, just to be nominated and be the, the Buffalo Bills representative as well as a finalist um, out of the entire NFL PA. Um, that's remarkable in itself. And um, it's kind of bizarre because unlike football awards, you know, like oftentimes people are working to get a pro bowl nomination. That's, that's their goal or to, to be league MVP. That's what they're working for. Um, these awards come without, you know, even, even trying. And, and I think that's what's the most special about it is no one seeks out at the start of the year and says, okay, I got to do however many events I got to do this year pay this much money to kids or whatever it is to get nominated. It doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. And because it's voted on by, um, you know, your teammates, it, you know, they can see through that and kind of who's more authentic and who's just doing it, you know, for maybe alternative reasons. And so to be nominated for these, it, it really means a lot. And um, I'm just so happy at the awareness it brings to the, the organizations and the kids and the people that I work with. Um, you know, I've got some of my playmakers who've been on nationally televised games with 15 million people watching and, uh, you know, some of the, the, the photos and videos of events that I've done and kids that I've worked with getting viral on social media because an NFL or NFLPA gets a hold of it or whatever it may be. And so uh, it's truly a blessing just to see the, the positive um, eyes on, on kids from Western New York and the Buffalo area, as well as my hometown in, in, in Omaha, Nebraska. And so um, super blessed and, you know, hope, hoping for some good luck this week. But like I said, I, I feel like I've already won enough. To give a little background on each award, the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award actually goes back to 1970, even though Walter Payton entered the league in, I think, 1974, 1975. It was renamed for Walter Payton in 1999 because of uh, the type of person that he was on and off the field. And uh, every year, each team nominates uh, its candidate. And in the past, it has been whittled down to a set of finalists uh, uh, during Super Bowl week. But over the past three years, 
the NFL has decided to leave everybody uh, in play for Super Bowl week. So Harrison Phillips is still uh, considered as much of a candidate as the 31 others. And uh, Harrison has already received $40,000 from the NFL to donate to his charity of choice, which I'm guessing was Playmakers. Uh-huh, yeah. Right. And uh, the winner gets $250,000 uh, for his charity. And uh, of course, gets to wear that pretty cool logo uh, that they put on the on the jerseys uh, that you see only a select number of guys wear uh, Drew Brees. Uh, and I think there were only four players in the NFL or maybe five Jason Witten because he came back out of retirement uh, that wear that cool logo where you see the captain's uh, patches on the jerseys. Uh, they also get um, a Walter Payton Man of the Year um, uh, insignia put on there. And then the Alan Page Award, uh, the finalists have been named, and they include Geno Atkins of Cincinnati, Kevin Byard of uh, Tennessee, Hayden Hurst in Atlanta, Pat Mahomes in Kansas City, and, of course, Harrison Phillips, uh, who is the only defensive tackle in that list. So Alan Page played the position. Maybe that's some good juju for you uh, heading into the NFLPA's, uh, the NFLPA's honor, which is going to be announced on Thursday. Um, your, tell us about your week and what this is going to be like for you and as these uh, honors are, are bestowed. Yeah, so um, there's you know, a, a little bit of legwork that has to be done um, to like receive some of that money, the Alan Page Award comes with some money, but you had to, you know, you had to do some things for them. And so one of them, they sent this giant productions uh, test kit with a technician that had to uh, plug it in. The, uh, you know, it was a two and a half hour process so that on yesterday's athlete and um, workshop that the NFLPA put on us four finalists, um, were, you know, did a, did an interview for about an hour and, um, had the mics and everything all set up. So I uh, did that yesterday um, as well as we had a, a virtual meet and greet uh, for the Walter Payton man of the year. So, um, you know, the, the Walter Payton family w- was on there nationwide was on there. Who's the sponsor of the award. Um, the NFL commissioner, Roger was on there as well as the nominees. And so uh, to get a chance to speak to them, although I'd love to do it in person and thank them for, you know, uh, Walter Payton's legacy and, and nationwide for sponsoring it and putting such a positive light in association with NFL football players. You know, they do a great job switching that rhetoric that NFL football players aren't, you know, uh, constantly getting in trouble or in jail or, you know, all these different things. They're showing that majority of NFL players are fantastic people who, who serve their communities. And that's part of what being a football player is in, in today's world, um, being a role model and, and doing the right thing. So, Knock those out. I got a couple more interviews uh, this week. Um, the NFL sent me some COVID tests that we have to take uh, before me and my girlfriend are flown down to Tampa, um, where we'll with nominees. Um, they don't have any in-person events while we're down there, aside from sitting uh, with the nominees in Roger Goodell's suite for the game. That's kind of the only ice cream, you know, cherry on top. Uh, but uh, there'll be some other Zoom things and virtual events and meet and greets and things like that to celebrate us. Um, and then, you know, I'm either in Buffalo where you guys know the snow that's going down or in Omaha where it's supposed to be negative two degrees. So going to Tampa uh, will be will be nice just to be down there for a few days. Um, but uh, obviously it's uh, really sting. It's going to sting pretty damn bad sitting in that suite watching the game. I can tell you that. Harrison, what was this year like? Um, you know, it strikes me that being nominated for these awards in a year when community service was probably needed more than a lot of other years, but also harder to do in the way that you like to do it, being hands-on and, and having face-to-face. So I don't know, walk us through what the year was like for you, some of the stuff that you did and how you managed to still have the impact on the community while um, you know, having to do it in a safe way and get through a football season. Yeah, this, you know, that's that's a, a really a really good point. And I thought about that, too. That's why this year really is special. It's one that we're always going to remember. This season's one that everyone's always going to remember. And so to be the nominee for this year when we had so many guys doing stuff, it, it was truly remarkable. But I think, you know, I got a lot of the groundwork in kind of before the shutdown. So still this year, you know, I, I think I put on 
at least two or three events before things really got shut down earlier in the spring. Um, but then as the season, the, the year went on, um, you know, one of the first things I did was put out that playmaker challenge. So to all my kids with developmental differences and special needs, I asked them to go around their communities and do a chore, pick up trash, clean the, clean, clean the streets, the streams, the parks, um, and send me a photo or video of them doing that. Um, I was going to pay them $10 to do that chore, but instead of actually getting them the money, it was going to be in the form of a donation to doctors and nurses. And through throughout the country, we ended up getting um, uh, close to a thousand meals donated to doctors and nurses throughout the, the community, um, the communities that the, their kids served in, uh, you know, and then we did some, you know, physical activity challenges where they, you know, send in videos of them uh, working out at home or getting their 60 minutes of activity in. Um, and then, you know, one of the, the big things where we kind of shifted and, and like, I like to say that my heart isn't biased. I don't only just work with the, with the playmakers or with my kids. I got a lot of love to give. And so, uh, when I found out that the Buffalo public schools had such a big issue without the, the Wi-Fi, um, my, my wheels kind of got to turn and figure out how I could get involved. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big task to try to tackle by yourself. And so I, I, I rallied as many guys as I could. Um, gave a gave a speech in front of our team about a way that we could do this logistically with the, talking with the Pagulas, our social justice team, um, and found out a way to you know donate over five hundred thousand dollars so that those four hundred or sorry four thousand plus households, seven eight thousand kids um, had access to to internet at their homes this year so they could, wouldn't fall so far behind. Um, you know that that was obviously a big thing, and then I was named a community MVP. Uh, by the NFLPA for my drive-in uh, movie theater event that I put on. And that was an event that I thought I was going to be able to go to. And then 24 hours beforehand, NFL came out with a new rule saying that you couldn't. So scrambled a little bit, but still got 200 families um, in, a, in, a, in the transit drive-in up there. And, um, had them play the Little Giants, and uh, they all got play packs again. Uh, promoting healthy at-home workout habits that, you know, these kids have to stay active uh, while they're staying at home. So they had jump ropes in there, uh, trading cards, and each one had a different, you know, five push-ups, six air squats to kind of go through the, the deck. And then I was able to zoom on for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes and explain the play packs, talk a little bit about the bill season, um, again, encourage them. I think, you know, every time I try to get in front of the kids, I try to tell them, uh, a tip or something that I wish I would have told my younger self or that would have helped me along. And this time I told him about surrounding yourself with um, the right type of friends. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer. You are who you hang out with. So I asked them, you know, to make sure that they're always trying to find the top student in the class, the, the best student um, in PE, the best athlete, you know, try to become friends with them. And um, ultimately you'll kind of better yourself doing that. Uh, and the fire department was there and the police department was there as well. Uh, so that they can, uh, that's something that I really encourage because I've heard some, some horror stories of, of buildings that are on fire. Um, and when there's so much smoke walking through there and you see a, a firefighter in full uniform with a gas mask, make it sounding like Darth Vader and lights beeping and stuff that some of these kids with autism and Down syndrome would run away from that and, and hide themselves in a closet because they're scared. And so to get those police and fire fire department up and, and get in full uniform and walk around to the kids and say, I'm friendly. I'm here to help. If you ever see me run to me, those type of things. And then, um, you know, there are some at risk kids from the inner city that came to my event as well. And so to um, have the police officers there, officers there in a time that, you know, there's a, a lot of mixed feelings about them. Um, you know, I think it was very um, rewarding to, for a lot of people to, to kind of strengthen those community bonds. Harrison, I'm always interested in asking players uh, about their community work. What, what inspires you and what leads into your decisions over what specific causes and charities that you choose to support? I'm always interested in hearing kind of what the inspiration is behind the why of what you do. Well, I know like my, my love for the, the kids that I work with, um, specifically, you know, my, the kids with uh, developmental differences and special needs. I remember a time vividly in sixth grade when, you know, uh, sixth grade, new school, bigger, bigger school, um, big lunchroom, went to the lunchroom for the first couple of weeks of school, sat at my table that had all is the athlete table, the football players, my wrestling buddies, basketball buddies, whatever it was. I remember one day I, I, I was running late, you know, stayed in the classroom for five extra minutes. When I got to lunch, that table was already full. 
And then the other table I maybe sit at was, was full as well. And so I looked around the, the lunchroom and I, I saw the table of our special education students with the special education teachers. And uh, I went over there and, and sat down. And I saw I'm, the principal kind of walked over. The teachers were very skeptical that I was maybe making a joke or doing something, you know, that a, a naughty sixth grade boy would do. Uh, but I was there just genuinely to, to meet new people and to create some friendships. And that's exactly what I did. And so, you know, for the rest of the year, half the lunches I'd sit at my table with the athletes, the other half of the lunches I'd sit over there with my new friends. And uh, many of those uh, kids ended up going to my prom group or came with me to, to homecoming and uh, in, in my circle of friends come to my graduation, my football games, you know, I always try to include them in things. And that was kind of, I realized how great of people they are and how much I can learn from those kids. Um, so that was kind of my passion to always work with them. Um, and uh, you know, I, I do a lot of things with a lot of different people. So really just any cool story I hear, um, you know, I'm, I'm about it. There was a family in Buffalo that I heard of. I don't know what, you know, city in Buffalo, if it was Williamsville or maybe it was a little further East actually, but their house, their house about burnt down four kids, um, a single mother. And it, one of the playmakers sent it to me and said they knew them through a family friend. And so me and my board got together, we donated, you know, seven pairs of clothes, or, uh, yeah, seven pairs of clothes, shirts, shorts, stuff, pair of shoes for all the kids, found out their their, um, their, their shirt sizes and, and clothes size and sent that to them. And then it was kind of close to the holidays. So um, got them a bunch of bills, swag and bobbleheads, football, stuff like that, because they lost everything. Um, so if I hear something about uh, a war vet, I'll, I'll go out of my way to try to reach out to them or, or get to the VA and visit them. Um, you know, I just, I don't know, I'm a sucker for good people. And, um, uh, you know, I, I realize that people really care about NFL football players. I'm only going to be in this position for a certain amount of time. I want to impact as many lives and change as many lives as I can. One of the things that always struck me about your philanthropy, Harrison, uh, and it led me in part, I mean, I will. I like to write about these types of stories anyway, but I was particularly drawn to telling uh, your story last year uh, because you didn't want uh, the exposure or the uh, attention, I should say. Exposure is one thing. Exposure is always good for charity, but you were doing all of these things kind of off the radar. You would show up at women and children's hospital, you'd call them and say, Hey, I'd like to stop by today. It wasn't a staged event with photographer and all this other type of thing. You would just show up when you wanted to show up. And it was often from what I was told by, uh, by uh, DJ Jixter. It's funny to say that, you know, I don't think that it says DJ Jixter on his driver's license, but it might, it might, you know what, by now it's mine. I think it probably does. (laughs) It, It probably does. Uh, but he says he kind of connected us uh, because I was working at the station at the time and he was, uh, well, he, he, he's at 97 Rock and we were doing the show uh, um, on Sports Fan. Um, anyway, I digress. But he had kind of convinced you to talk to me and said, Tim, you got to tell this guy's story. And um, so anyway, I guess how, how have you towed that line between really not wanting that publicity and yet things like being nominated for Walter Payton man of the year award uh, to be a finalist for the Allen page community award um, talking with the athletic about what you do opens things up for getting your message out. Yeah. You know, I think it's a really good point. And Jake was one of those people who it was always constantly like saying, Hey, when you're doing this, post something on Instagram, like, Put, put out on Twitter some of the great work that you're doing in the, commu- in the community. But that just never was the MO. And through college, I was involved with so much stuff. I mean, my playmakers was taken off. Um, I tutored ele- at an elementary school and a preschool two different days a week. Uh, I worked, I mean, I, I, created, I helped create the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Stanford and, and at FCA, um, would, would serve at the homeless. I was just doing so much. But that was just like, that's what I do. Every, you know, I wake up, I do this. And not to say that people didn't care back then, but it, when you're just a college athlete at a stand, you know, there's so much else going on. That doesn't pick up a lot of traction in Silicon Valley. There's so much going on. They want to write about the, the, the A's, the Raiders, the San Francisco 49ers. There's a lot of stuff going on. So me doing community service work, 
and you know, there, it didn't really get a lot of traction. I just did it because that's what I felt was my calling. And I, I got joy out of it. And I could see the lives that I was impacting, speaking at different high schools and volunteering for PE classes, whatever it was. Um, I filled up all my free time serving. And I got to the NFL in like, you know, the first year kind of went by and people probably thought I was a normal rookie. But until we really kind of discussed what I was doing, I was visiting the hospital once a month. I was uh, serving, you know, going, going above and out of my way to meet up with random fans who I heard had, you know, just were going through dialysis or had lost somebody to cancer. Oh, hey, meet me at the Bills store. Let's, let's meet. I want to let me talk to you. So a lot of that stuff just went on the radar. And then, you know, Jigster was like, you, you realize that, you know, this exposure isn't like a, a humble brag for you. The exposure brings bill's mafia to see what you're doing and they can help the cause and you guys see that with when you know josh allen's grandmother and what they did for oshai triller's hospital when they get behind something um you know it, it brings a lot of a lot of help to that and so i would say every i've gotten you know obviously i haven't had anything like that newsworthy that they got behind me but even if it's just two or three people see that i went up to high point and they've never heard of high point before maybe two or three people donated 50 bucks that year you know, 150 bucks still still helps out. And, um, you know, maybe I inspired some some help. I've had a couple of Bills fans say, oh, we saw your challenge for playmakers. And we told our kids to do the same thing. And here's a picture of my son mowing our neighbor's lawn for free or whatever it was. Um, and so I've realized now that coming on year three, going on to year four, you know, there's a big benefit to actually making it known what you're doing. Um, and it, it's taken me a couple of years to kind of get out of my comfort zone and share more about that. Obviously, I, I don't share intimate things or more private. Um, but if, but if I'm going to do a bigger event, I'm always going to share it on social media or let people know press like you guys know you could come down or write a story about it just because I know the positive repercussions it has for those individuals I'm working with. But it is a weird line to walk because. You know, if I'm just constantly in your face, oh, I'm at this place this week, I'm doing this tomorrow, then Thursday I'm doing it, it can feel a little, uh, like I said, humble brag. And I, I never want to give out that uh, off that vibe. You know, it's very genuine to me. One of the other things that I kind of stumbled into when, you, when you're doing these stories, I think somebody's uh, genuineness does have a tendency to uh, uh, reveal itself, the level of how genuine they are. And um, I interviewed uh, Brianna Maldonado, you suggested, uh, yeah. because you had a relationship with her. And there's two things about that. Number one was she lives at High Point, which you mentioned. And when I sat down with the people at High Point with Brianna uh, in one of their conference rooms there to interview her, uh, a nurse and uh, one of the uh, communications executives mentioned that Bill's players don't come by High Point. And that wasn't a knock on them. It was because there are so many obvious like Oshai, everybody, it's just so out there and they have a lot of um, exposure already. And so people naturally will say, um, I want to donate to Oshai or even with me and my charity of choices, uh, make a wish of Western New York. I mean, that's like you automatically think, but high point is one you don't think about. And they had made it a point to mention to me that you found them. And I thought that's pretty impressive um, that you went and looked for a place that doesn't get a lot of that interaction. And then the other part of that was in talking with Brianna and then interviewing you, you had mentioned to me how you get closest to the patients or the families that aren't coming home, that are in these facilities. Uh, High Point is a, is a, is a lifetime mostly uh, from people who have to live with assisted living, you know, the, and Brianna, I think is 20 in her early twenties. So, you know, she's, she's going to be in this facility for a long time, hopefully, you know, um, but can you maybe touch on that? Uh, the idea that meeting a kid at Oshai with a broken arm, you're going to probably say, Hey, you know, keep your spirits up um, or, a, but, somebody like Brianna, you're going to see over and over and over again, and you get closer, you learn their stories because they aren't going home and they will always be there at high point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the, whatever, 40 some times I've been up to Oshai, there's, there's been a handful of times that I'll see the same kids mainly on the, um, you know, the, the pediatric cancer unit, those guys constantly coming in for chemo or whatever, epilepsy i'll see a couple of the same kids that i get to know a little bit better but like you said a lot of it's 
oh, we don't have anybody in today or we got some guys on floor eight or what, and it's broken arm or got in a bike crash or just not feeling good or, you know, appendicitis, not to downgrade these things, but in and out in a couple of weeks. And so there's a lot of turnover and it's good to make their day while they're there for seven days. But these other kids at high point who, like you said, it's, it's a life sentence, you know, they, they're, they're happy to, to leave for, to go pick up McDonald's. That's a, that's a vacation to a lot of these kids and, and families there. And so uh, to go there and, and hear some of the stories and, um, you know, Bree's a, a good story, you know, her family's still involved. She's very, um, you know, highly functioning, uh, there, there's a lot worse stories than, than hers, but to go there and try to make an impact and to walk around the rooms and to um, hear, you know, oh, I remember the last time I was playing with Gabby, she really liked the little rainmaker because it made noise. So then for Christmas that year, I was able to go, oh, these are presents that I, I should give to Gabby because she likes these things. Or Jackson really loves stuff that lights up. So I found stuff that had as many lights on it as possible to, you know, for Christmas for them. Um, Brie, you know, I remember she had, I think, a small little Kindle and she was, it was like the size of a Kindle or like a, a an old fashioned iPod. Um, and she was trying to use that to Google stuff. And I knew she really wanted an iPad. So for Christmas, I got her an iPad. So she was able to Google all her bills, facts. And um, I think I'm her background. So I think that was a promise I made to her. I said, if you, if you take this present, I got to be your background. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's really good to have those longer relationships. And um, you know, even with my playmakers, instead of guys just doing one football camp every year, they see kids once and wait 365 days to see them again. That's why I like so many activities through the year is each time I kind of like, okay, this is the, the kid that I'm going to try to get close with at this event and get to know him really well, walk around he or her and the next event, you know, do another kid. So I, I get to know them on a really personal level. Um, but yeah, High Point is a very special place. Um, the only other family I know in Western New York that, um, does some things with them is the Kellys, you know, Jill and Jim have been there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think they've, they've gone a, a little less often because of how hard it is to go through there and, and, and hear some of the stories. Um, and I don't, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to share this person's name. So I'll say one of the kids there, um, you know, he's been there. He, he had a, an accident that caused a brain injury. And so um, he's, uh, can't hear, can't see. They don't know what his consciousness is like. Um, he's he's hooked up to stuff that keeps him alive. Um, you hope that when I'm in the room and I'm talking to him and telling him about the season or whatever it may be that he's hearing it, but we don't we don't know for for sure because those tests are so expensive. Um, and the sad part of it is the family doesn't want to pay for those tests or doesn't care enough and. You know, sometimes when I go to those rooms, when there's people in that state, I'll ask, you know, is the family involved? Should I leave some presents for when mom, dad, brother, sister come and to hear how many rooms I go to and they say, you don't need to leave anything because no one comes or oh, this person's family hasn't been here in nine months. This person's family hasn't been here and this person hasn't had a single visitor in his seven years with us. I mean, this stuff just breaks your heart. And so... Um, it's a very special place, but it, it takes a lot to go there. Um, but I, uh, I have a, a very deep, uh, appreciation for the doctors and nurses who work there and, and how well they treat those kids and, and, and young adults. On a more uplifting note, and I, I should have included this in the story, uh, when I, I included that you do this, but I don't think I really got into why you do this. Uh, with Playmakers, you have the kids, uh, which it's going to initially sound like you're getting free labor out of it, but you have these kids work, um, wrapping presents, doing things for first responders, for frontline workers. Um, and it, the initial response might be, hey, cut these kids a break. But you, you did explain to me that, you, uh, that these kids really enjoy it. Like there's a, to have kids who get things on, they do understand on the much deeper level, how good it feels to get something and they like to help. Uh, can you, um, can you just tell us about that? And then, uh, yeah. And then we well, can uh, let you get, of, get moving. Because of my uh, relationship with, uh, you know, kids somewhere on the spectrum from a young age, I, I learned to realize that, um, you know, depending on where they are, uh, majority of these kids know that they have a disability. 
you know, uh, you can talk to, you know, Blake or some of the kids that I work with and he'll tell you I'm, I'm a down syndrome, uh, young adult. And I have, I struggled doing this and I struggled doing this. These are some things that take me longer to do. And, and so they know about it. And so, you know, they have enough consciousness to know if someone's treating them different. Um, and, and, you know, you, you put two and two together, Hey, I have a disability. He's talking to me the same way he talked to that four-year-old and, you know, that that's offensive to some, some of these kids. And so you just want to treat them like, you know, normal, normal people at, at age, however you treat a 17 year old at a football camp. And so if Reed's not running hard enough on the ladder drill, I'm going to go over there and yell Reed to start picking it up at his feet and get it going. Um, I know who you're talking about with Reed too. Reed, uh, I saw him at the Dave and Buster's event too. Reed, uh, yeah. Reed, uh, he'll run through a wall for you. Oh like, yeah. Well, he'll run through me when he sees, when he sees right. me. It's, it's like <laughs> or, or, well, yeah, any, any other hu- any human in his back. path, right? Yeah, he, he he's gonna Brian Erlacher, Tremaine Edmonds stuff coming down in the hole tackle. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's good and. Um, yeah, you know, uh, we have a, a couple kids who are just at the age where we're going to try to start working with the Chick-fil-A in Buffalo to get them hired, uh, you know, ha- employ them. And uh, some of our other kids we have on my board, you know, I have a kid board of the playmakers. And so um, putting them in a leadership role where we say, hey, at my camp, what's what's better? Do we want a, a clown that's making you guys balloon hats or do we want a petting zoo? What, what seems more fun or do you want to jump rope or do we want to do tic-tac-toe with big blocks so you know having having kids help uh push the 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 pedal on what we want to do as a playmakers um community um but yeah you know i I think just to touch your point you know um letting these kids are passionate about caring and helping others and if if me and 25 of my people my family and friends if we were all walking on the street and you know we saw somebody uh, a normal aged man, a 30 year old kind of tripped on the curb and fell down and got back up. All 25 of us would probably still keep walking. My playmakers would run over there in a heartbeat and make sure that he's okay. He did, you know, even though he just a little trip and come back up, those guys, that's just innate. Hey, are you okay? How can I help? And so that's why they, they hop on board with all the events that we do and um, are, are staying late to finish their Christmas card or to wrap presents or to uh, go out in the community and pick up trash because they, they want to help. One, one real quick point. I know we're, we're up, we're kind of running out of time. I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm. Well, I told uh, you I was chatty. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, I, we all are on this, this four square um, is it should never be understated. And I think it all, it gets overlooked a lot when you're talking about helping out these kids. And you did mention some of the very sad things at high point where they, their families aren't involved, but with a lot of these families, they are really involved. And these events, uh, especially the Dave and Buster's event that I attended last year, I saw the relief and joy that the families were having for a couple of reasons. Number one, because their child was happy, but also they were getting a break for an hour. That one hour was so precious to them. It was almost like I see some of the parents, it was almost like a date night, even though they're with their kids. Just the fact that they were doing something with friends for an hour was such a release just for the family. And that has to be incredibly significantly valuable to the family. Yeah. And we made note of that. Once I got to know some of these kids, and I meet their family, you start to realize, wait, that's a, that's a divorced family. That's a divorced family. That's a divorced family. And I can't tell you the exact percentage. I knew it all last year. Uh, but I, I believe it's 80% of, of marriages with a, a kid with Down syndrome or autism and in divorce, you know, that's what twice is likely than a, a family without a kid like that. And because it, it does, it causes a lot of tension, constantly having to monitor or be around. And so um, we, we saw that too at Dave and Buster's that year. And so in the spring of this year, we did an indoor kickball game where we were at Dave, um, the Eastern Hills Mall, they have an indoor baseball field or something. And we took the kids there, but the family stayed back at the Buffalo store and Duff's brought them wings and beer. And so mom's dad's, they got to sit, have a date night while we took the kids for an hour and a half and played kickball. They could have some beer, eat some wings, have some pizza. We played a, a movie on a, on a projector for them. Oh, right um, on. 
Yeah, so we, 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 we're conscious about that. Um, Debbie Cavers is on our board. She's Blake Cavers' mother, and she was kind of one of the forefront who said, you know, you don't realize how many people in this community are, are divorced and um, how important it is to try to strengthen those, um, you know, those, those bonds. So any event we do, we give the option for parents. You can stay, your mom, you can just stay and watch. Or, you know, we can take the kids and, and put them, if you want them with a one-to-one -one mentor, we'll have a volunteer just with your kid as well as group leaders and stuff um, so that they can, like you said, have a break. How do you find time to play football with all of this community work that you're doing? <laughs> we're, we're all big babies. We, we, we have it pretty easy in the NFL. There's, there's enough time in the day, I promise, you know. You got to remember, there's just so much you can do physically, especially towards the end of the year. I mean – you can't work out for four hours a day and expect to play good on a, on a Sunday. You just can't. So, you know, you do everything you need. And then while you recover, you know, if somebody, if I'm, if I'm doing a, an ice bath for 20 minutes, well, I still on my phone, organizing things, planning meetings. If I'm Norma tech in, in a massage chair for a half hour session, I still got my phone that I can call and set up times with the transit drive-in or the David busters or whatever it is. And then, uh, you know, when I finish watching my film in the evening, you know, it still might be only 8.30. You can still get a hold of a lot of people. We have an off day. Um, I obviously rely on my board a lot in Buffalo to help me out. I got three members on there that, that do a lot of work for me too. But um, like I said, it just goes kind of hand in hand. And uh, that's just the person I am. If I never made it to the NFL, I mean, if somebody wanted randomly picked me the civilian out of the crowd and did an interview on me you'd hear all this same stuff it just wouldn't have as much traction because I'm not an NFL football player how much does it help you keep it all in perspective too you know the you've had injuries and different things that you've gone through in your NFL career but I don't know it seems like it'd be easier to stay grounded when you're doing all this stuff yeah it does and I have a big I have a big struggle with finding my identity, not just in football. You know, I want to, you know, football is my biggest passion. So when football is not going good, whether it was the injury or playing time or not playing great, I mean, that does that devalue who I am as a person? And the answer should be no, but it doesn't feel that way sometimes. And so uh, working with the kids I work with, you know, I remember when I wasn't playing for a couple games this year, having a couple of the playmakers like write me letters saying, what are they doing? You're the best football player in the world. We love you so much, you know, that, that type of support and love. Um, and yeah, you know, the day after I tore my ACL when I went up to Oshai and, you know, met some kids who maybe never get a walk again. And here I am complaining about a, a little knee injury. Like it, it does help th keep things in perspective and um, yeah, just keep you humble. Harrison, are you going to be able to watch or enjoy the game on Sunday? I'm asking not only, you know, obviously you got very close uh, yourself, yeah. but I know that a lot of athletes generally, I don't think this is the norm, but I know that there are a lot out there who, if, if they're not involved, they could care less. Um, yeah. How, how, are you, how do you handle the Super Bowl? Yeah, you know, I, I'll always watch the Super Bowl. I will. Um, whether it's family getting together or friends getting together, I'll watch it. Um, this one obviously stings worse than anything. I mean, we were, we were that close. You know, every, every one of these Super Bowl commercials could have very easily been of, of our team. Um, but uh, I like to watch the game, too, of like, you know, these, these teams might be the same leading teams next year. And so I'm going to watch how what their offense does in the most important game of the year. What's their, you know, what formations are they running? Maybe their coaching – you know, the coaching staff doesn't change. Their offensive coordinators don't leave and the head coaches stay. This is the same offense we're going to see next year. So, you know, we saw Kansas City gave us two completely different um, offenses in the two games we played in. That first game, um, you know, they rushed for 280 yards or whatever it was. And then this last one, they barely ran the ball at all and were throwing the whole time. So to see uh, what they decided to do against uh, Tampa Bay and what Tampa Bay decides to do against them, um, you know, you can learn from it as much as it might sting and hurt. And, you know, I feel like we got, we should be playing in that thing. Um, you gotta, you either win or you learn. So try to find something that I can, I can use into next year and, um, see the way that they play, uh, block and play and, you know, hopefully it can give me a competitive advantage. Are there things that you, I know that experience is a form of learning. And so that's kind of, the, that would be a broad strokes answer, but, in the times that you face Tom Brady, are there things or are there experiences about playing him that 
you can pinpoint of, okay, I just learned a, le a lesson there, or he does this at a level that other guys don't, and I need to be mindful of that. I guess I want to say is, how much is he an, almost an instructor uh, when you go up against him after and you review what just happened? Yeah. Um, yeah. R rookie year, you know, I I'm just out there playing ball. <laughs> uh, and, and then, you know, when you, by the, I think the second game I played them, I started picking up on some stuff because Kyle Williams was really, really great at, you know, teaching me um, how Brady operates. But like you said, he does, he, he, he kind of controls the whole thing. And um, it's, it's, it's a cat and mouse game. So like, you got to, you have to know us so well that you know what he sees in us and what, why he would call something. So just for example, not to get too technical, but I'm sure you guys know of an over front or an under front. Mm -hmm. So we, we run a lot of an over front. We have a handful of calls that are an under front, um, but we rarely just, you know, we rarely line up in under. So if I, if we decide to call a call that's an under front and they've got, you know, a Sam or Poyer walk down, you know, another linebacker on the line of scrimmage. Tom Brady's going to see that. Other quarterbacks might just call their same play and call it. Well, Tom Brady's going to see that. And so he's probably going to check something to run to the bubble. He's like, well, I know that they're going to run a blitz from this side. They're showing it. Or, you know, very often does Tredavious White line up on number two receiver on the inside, right? He's always on the outside. Well, if Trey White's on the number two, I bet he's blitzing, right? He's doing that to, to blitz. Some quarterbacks won't see that. And us, sometimes we get the play call. I'm like, okay, I got the A-gap. That's all I'm thinking about. But if I can understand the full play call, I go, oh, hey, wait, our safety rotation is different. Micah and Poyer are on the same side. He's going to be able to see that we've got four aligned and that they're going to bring a blitz. So I got to know, hey, if he audibles or checks anything, it's either going to be a screen, a draw, or a run away from the pressure. And there's only a handful, you know, Phillip Rivers did that against Indy. Um, when we played them this year as well as my rookie year against the Chargers. But um, those, those are some things that, you know, you have to know yourself so well that you know what he's doing. But he's, he's the best at doing that that I've played against. It's, it's incredible to watch. Um, and as much as, you know, so much of Buffalo and Western New York hate that man, I have a, a ton of respect for the player he is. It's, it's incredible what he does. How does it compare to the other quarterback that we'll see this weekend? Patrick Mahomes probably isn't quite at that level on uh, recognizing it. I mean, he hasn't seen as much as Tom Brady, but like you said, they can run a different offense at you each time you come out and hurt you in so many ways. Yeah, I believe um, – I don't, I don't know fully how they operate in, in Kansas City, but, you know, I only got to play them once so far. Uh, the first time we played them, I, I was inactive that game. But uh, I think – you know, obviously he's pretty smart. I, I could hear some of their offensive linemen calling out our stuff, telling him, hey, look out, they're gonna, there's going to be a twist here. He's going to attack or whatever. Um, but I think that um, Patrick, he trusts his athletic ability so much that instead of changing the play, he'll just be like, okay, he's blitzing here. I'm going to spit out of it and still go throw a play. Or, um, all right, these guys are both coming. Our play calls that way. I'm just going to – you know, if it's sprint option or something, I'm going to hold it real long, fake, fake a pitch and then go, you know, he trusts himself to beat the, the, the defense rather than the play call, I guess, like where Tom Brady, he'll change his call to beat the, the defense, if that makes sense. And um, obviously we've seen from Mahomes, uh, he's, he's done that many times. Do you have a, do you have a, who, who do you prefer? I mean, do you, does it matter at this stage? Uh, but the I, fact that you've I, I played like, against like Brady and know him so well, but the Chiefs just knocked you off, and maybe you'd like to say, hey, it took the Super Bowl champions to eliminate us. Yeah, and that's how I was in the playoffs. I wanted to play Tennessee on the way to play the Chiefs. I wanted to avenge those um, and, you know, play Tennessee, beat them, play the Chiefs, beat them, and go. But I wanted to play Tom Brady, um, you know, my rookie year when I, I got to play them. Uh, both times, those were my best games. And even this year when we played Cam, they kept, you know, can't say similar offense because they ran so much with cam but similar run game um and those were you know two of my better games this year as well um so i always loved playing against tom brady because if you do do all the studying and you take all the prep work in um 
he'll he'll come up to a line and just straight out call up what he's going to run. You know, hey, blunt gavel, Phil. And, you know, if you re- remember what that means, you know exactly what the play is. So I, I would rather play Tom Brady. Um, um, yeah. Do you care who wins? <laughs> I it, – it, if the Chiefs win, then we know, you know, that – we we're, we're that close. You know what I mean? If Tampa comes out and smacks the chiefs, well, then it's like, well, wow, it's not just when the AFC, then you're going to have a huge test in the NFC. So um, I think if the chiefs win, it, it gives us good perspective that, Hey, you know, we, we know top dog and what we got to do. How close do you think you are? I mean, can you give a, can you quantify it? No, because next year's we don't even know what next year's teams are going to look like. We got no idea who we're going to re-sign, who we're going to draft, what free agent are we going to get? Um, you know, I, I, the day before the game, I would have said with full certainty, we're going to, we're going to win. We're going to beat the chiefs. Um, that's, that's the feeling that we had and uh, that we could beat anybody. Uh, so it just, just too tough to say, you know, if we lined up again and had to play the chiefs this week, I'd still tell you, I, I believe we'd beat them. Um, but this, this whole team's going to change. Their team's going to change. The NFL is going to change. So we'll have to talk training camp next year do you think at all losing in the championship game is one of those experiences that will help you win a game like that or a super bowl in the future yeah i think the loss against houston brought us to this stepping stone and i think that the loss here is going to bring us to the next one you know like i said you either win or you learn and so we have enough guys in our room who are learning from this and hating that pain and hating that anger and uh we'll fuel them well, Harrison, as you're watching from the commissioner's box on Sunday, I guess that's the second best place to be. You know you've done something, uh, something well um, off the field. Uh, if you can't be there uh, in uniform for the game, uh, to be there in the commissioner's box on Sunday, maybe you'll have some hardware with you uh, before the end of the game. Uh, and again, uh, Harrison Phillips is one of the finalists for the Allen Page Community Award. I misspoke earlier. I, I, Gino Atkins is a defensive tackle too, so I guess you're not the you're not the lone defensive tackle. Yeah, uh, G- this is Gino's one. this is Gino's third time being a finalist, so he might be tough one uh, to compete with. Yeah, Susan Lucci went a lot of years though without winning that Emmy. Um, you know, maybe uh, you you had a good year, Harrison. I I, th- I think you're a if you're if you're an underdog in this uh, situation, you're a live dog. That's for sure. And uh, and one of 32 nominees, he was the Bills candidate uh, for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, which will be announced. Uh, is that halftime? Are they doing that still at halftime? Or uh, no, no, I NFL so. honors. Yeah, yeah. Friday night, or when before the. Do you know? Well, you know. Why am I telling you? What when, when is? I actually I have no know. idea. Okay. Well. At some point in the next couple of days, uh, yes. a lot yeah. of people consider it the most prestigious award in the NFL. Yeah, I, it's, that's what it was told to me as this is the NFL's most prestigious honor. Yeah. Well, Harrison Phillips, thanks for joining us, and um, good luck in Tampa. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, guys. Thank you.